Hello and welcome to another episode of the Churchology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holmes, and today on the show we're excited to talk to Doug Bursch about his brand new book, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Doug is a pastor, he's an author, he's also a podcast host of the Fairly Spiritual Show podcast. And so this is a great conversation about social media and just the impact that it's having on us. Last week we talked about the news. Here we are, we're talking about social media and and everybody can see that social media is shaping us into certain kinds of people. And we need to really ask, do we like who we are becoming? What is happening to the church as a result of how social media is shaping us? And so We have a great conversation, Doug and I. It was exciting to talk to him. And make sure to check out his brand new book, Posting Peace, comes out today if you're listening to this on the day that this episode is released. So check out the show notes. Links to pick it up are there. Make sure to go grab it. Let's jump right into our interview today with Doug Bursch on the Churchology Podcast. All right. Well, today on the show, we're excited to talk to Doug Bursch. Doug, how are you today? I am doing well. How about yourself? Doing great. Doing great. Doug, uh, you are about to release a brand new book called Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us, What We Can Do About It. Before we dive in, I would love to just hear your story. Uh, Introduce yourself to to our audience. Yeah. Uh, By the way, thanks for mentioning the title of the book right at the beginning. As a struggling author, any time you mention the book, it's like, yay. Uh, You know, for me, uh, man, I've been pastoring 22 years. I um, have uh, four kids I love dearly. We have our our youngest is uh, going into high school next year, so I can tell you kind of our stage of life there. Uh, but I've uh, been a pastor most of my working life, and then uh, also I've been interested in concepts of social media, different media. I worked in radio for five years, did 1,200 shows there. Uh, one of my first jobs out of college was working with an internet company. And this is way back when we were just trying to figure out some basic things about uh, online streaming and such. And so uh, this area of social media has always been something I'm interested in, and particularly in the context of how we treat one another, uh, not just uh, online, but in person. How do we communicate in a reconciling way? Yeah. And so so what is it that you were seeing, you know, as a pastor, where you where you're at? What were you seeing that said, hey, I, I'm going to take the time to write a book about how we talk about well, now, isn't, each other on right, social media. Isn't everyone seeing this? I mean, everyone seems to be really angry and divisive. And it's yeah. kind of this fear that it's getting worse, right? There's this mm-hmm. concept where you're just, we are becoming more and more polarizing, more angry, more divisive. And so the question for me is, why is that? And then also, why are Christians um, looking like everyone else, or you can't really distinguish that unless they have it in their profile, you know, that they're a Christian and the way they actually interact, they sound like everyone else or sometimes even worse. The other thing I noticed is, you know, with a radio background, I was in a talk show and talk shows are hilarious because, um, every talk show host talks like they know the answer for everything. Their, their Mm -hmm. goal is basically to build an audience and they often build an audience based on like, like-mindedness, you know, uh, conservatives build conservative talk shows, progressives build progressive talk shows. And then any topic that comes out, they have a strong opinion about how you should view it. And you know, they, they don't know everything, but they you know, act like they know everything. I used to tell people, uh, my gifting is I can talk about anything, even if I know nothing about it. So that made me a great talk show host. Here's the problem. I noticed social media, we're all becoming like these little 
talk show hosts uh, where any topic comes out, we have a strong opinion about it, and then we're rallying the people who agree with us. And so it's, it's this, which I don't necessarily think is the healthiest way to build community. Uh, we're becoming that. And I saw that I left, left radio and talk shows and I entered a world where we have all these talk show Jesuses and they all have their idea of uh, this is what I think, this is what people should do. And I see that same mentality of building a base of like-minded people, but I think that's not the same as the mandate we have as Christians to reach different people, to reach the lost, to speak in reconciling ways that bring people closer to God and closer to each other. Yeah, so you set out to, you saw that Christians, everybody just seemed to be mad online, try to figure out why. Uh, yeah. The big question is, what'd you find out? What, what's the reason yeah. that yeah. Well, I, Christians I, I, are so I, mad? <laughs> I just got really confused and I don't know. You know, <laughs> I, this is my best attempt and anyone who tells you they know everything is, is mm. lying to you. Although on social media, they probably will tell you that. Uh, for me, I started uh, in my doctoral work. I've spent a lot of time looking at te technology and technology theory, and just not even the context of religious. And I think this book even works well for non-Christians, although it's very uh, Christ-centered. But the technology aspect, we don't realize how much technology is forming us. Uh, Marshall McLuhan mm -hmm. was a te technological theorist in the late 19, uh, well, late 1960s, early 70s. And uh, he talked about how the medium is the message, which is kind of an odd statement. The medium is the message. Well, what he, he was saying is every media, let's say television is a media, radio is a media, the printing press is a media, and uh, social media <laughs> is a media. Well, every medium changes the way that we communicate with one another. We Sometimes mm -hmm. Christians say, well, I'm just going to, you know, I preach in person, I'm going to preach online, or we're going to preach on radio or television, and we assume the message will stay the same. But our messages change because the mediums change our message. Mediums actually change how we communicate, what we communicate, how we exist together. And that's something crucial that we must realize, because if we don't realize that, uh, we'll just think we're just kind of neutrally sharing stuff. And, and that's what you're noticing. We're only talking about certain things. We're only talking in certain ways. And that's not just because Christians are more bitter or angry. It's the medium itself is changing our message. And so that was probably the biggest thing. Now, I go through in detail all different ways that social media changes our messaging. But I think a lot of people don't take that seriously enough that this tool we use is actually forming us into different people, more divisive, polarizing people. Yeah. Is that what you mean in the book when you talk about how social media is actually changing the way that we view humanity? Yeah. Yeah. I will. It, you know, here's the thing. I'm not a, a naysayer in that social media is bad. There's all kinds of incredible, powerful things that it does. Mm -hmm. One of the things that technology does, and Marshall McLuhan talks about this, is every technological advancement, it extends a part of human capacity. And think of like uh, the spoon as a technology it extends our hands capacity to be able to eat food. The car is a technology. It extends what part of our human capacity? Well, the ability to walk, mobilization, right? So that's great. The car allows us to go farther than we could ever go before, more distances. So that's where technology ex extends us. But he mentions that it extends us, but it also weakens us. So what do, what do we do now? Uh, our car breaks down. We can barely walk to the gas station because we're so tired and out of shape because we don't walk anymore. So it extended our ability to walk and it weakens our ability to walk. This is what social media is doing. 
it's extending our ability to connect with people, right? You can connect with you know, thousands of people. You can interact with, in a day, you can just go from group to group to group. So it makes that human capacity to want to connect, to want to communicate, it's extended. But it's also numbing our ability to interact with people. We're actually, because it's so easy to interact with people, it's so easy just to share your opinion, it's so easy to immediately do all these things, that it's numbing our ability to walk through a conflict when it's not easy to maintain a relationship when the relationship gets difficult because we don't have to, we can just move on to another relationship. Uh, so the fact, the things where social media makes it the most easy for us to communicate, it's also been an area where it's weakened some of our basic concepts of communication, how to go through a conflict, uh, how to see someone, each person as an individual that you value and respect versus just one of a thousand people that I can interact with at any time and just move on to someone else. So. That, that's one of the aspects of how social media dehumanizes or makes us less human, hmm. that we don't value a personal interaction because we can have access to so many of them that people just kind of become things we can trade in or trade out based on our own personal needs. Wow. And what does it do into our spiritual formation? Hmm. So how should we think about the way social media impacts how we're spiritually formed? Yeah. Well, here's one of the struggles. We're within the bubble, like we're in the petri, petri, or petri dish. So we don't know necessarily. Uh, wow. We're kind of seeing it, but we don't. It's so much around us and a part of us. And people say, well, I don't use social media much. Well, it's influencing our culture. So whether you use it or not that much, it's influencing how we exist. For spiritual formation, one of the biggest issues that I think it's doing is it's uh, giving us a very individualistic uh, view of faith and of existence. Uh, there's these two um, researchers, uh, Rainey and Wellman, I think are their name. And uh, they talk about, and they say this in a positive light. They say the strength of social media and the internet is it allows us to do what they call networked individualism, networked individualism. And I, I don't, the, the book's very approachable, but I'm just giving you some of these big concepts here because I think it's oh, yeah. fun to get the big things and we can, you know, do the application. But networked individualism is that basically people, if I have a problem, individually, I can go and just find whoever I need to meet that individual problem. Uh, or I, I have a need. I'm just really interested in Star Wars films. That's my, uh, by the way, that's not true of me, but let's say it is. So I, <laughs> that's I like very them, true know. of me. So I was like, well, oh, I mean, wow. I like them, but I'm, you know, it's, I'm not an advocate, you know, on the platforms talking about what's wrong with the latest film, but you can interact with a whole community of people and not just of Star Wars films, but the people who love the films or hate the films or oh, yeah. only love three of them and hate yeah. four of them, you know, whatever. And you can just spend yourself in the place where people feed your own individualistic need. Hmm. You can, and some of this is good. Like we have this with uh, abuse, people who've been abused, let's hmm. say in a church context, they can find other people abused in a church context and they can have a powerful interaction based on that need. The problem though, with using social media just or the internet to meet our personal needs is that our interactions become very transactional and we actually only relate with people as much as they meet our needs. It's kind of like people become an answer that we Google. You know, I have a problem. Uh, you know, I have a certain theological need. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. I like these people. They meet my need. And so I interact with them. Well, this individual reality, what happens is the moment those groups don't meet our need, we just move on to another group. This goes against what Christians are called to, is to build community. 
Hmm. We're called to be a people that will bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. And in order to be a people, that means that the truth and the hope that I've found and the joy, my goal of interacting with people is not just to get them to meet my needs. My goal is for them to find the love of God and for also us to both have a more deep, caring, loving relationship to break down the dividing walls of hostility. And that's not what internet, the internet's purpose is. The purpose is, how do I meet my needs? How do I meet my wants? Uh, and it's a form of networked individualism. It's not networked community. And for Christians, community should be a central role. We're the body of Christ, right? It's not just, I can't be everything. A hand can't be everything in the body. A foot can't be everything in the body, as Paul says. Well, what are we doing with social media? We're just finding a bunch of feet and all the feet are hanging out and all the hands are hanging out and all the mouths are hanging out. Actually, the mouths have a tough time hanging out. They fight with each other a lot. But, <laughs> but that reality is really affecting our witness. And I'll even say this, like uh, with social media, you'll see this where people say, I need to take a break from social media, which I understand. That's fine. But the very fact that you can take a break from social media shows you how we view it. We view it as basically just for my individual needs. We don't say, I'm going to take a break from the community of God. I'm going to take a break from, uh, that's something deeper. Like, I'm going to take a break from my marriage, or I'm going to take a break from my friendships. I'm going to, so social media at its highest, it's still not about relationships. It's about, I. it meets certain individual needs in me. And then when it stops meeting those needs, I stop using it. Well, that's okay at some level, but I think we're seeing these expressions where, we're not willing to go through a conflict with someone because that doesn't meet my needs. I don't want to deal with a conflict. That guy disagrees with me. I'll just unfriend them, unfollow, you know, whatever, and move on. If I believe my goal is for them to know the love of God and for us to grow in some sort of at least that they know I love them and that I care about their eternal destination or just their spiritual vitality, then I'm going to intentionally press into that relationship when it doesn't meet my needs because it's not about me even if it's difficult, even if I don't want to interact with this person. And we all know that as Christians, right? There's things you don't want to do, but you're supposed to do. There's people you don't want to talk to, but you're supposed to talk to. There's hmm. ministry is difficult. Crosses are crosses for a reason. They're not, <laughs> they're not fun. Hmm. And that we're avoiding that in social media. But the more we interact just through social media, the more that's going to become just how we view life. Life is just find people to meet your needs. And until they, when they stop meeting your needs, leave them, unfriend them, argue with them, whatever, and move on. And that to me goes against uh, our mandate as Christians to advance the kingdom of God, to build a people of God, and to build community. Yeah, and the algorithm is only going to reinforce that network yeah. individualism, right? So I, yeah. I think I've built this echo chamber where all these people think like me, but the algorithm is, oh, well, let me give you more of those people. And, and yeah. Yeah, and that's something, you know, and uh, a, a lot of research is coming out and we're becoming aware of that is, and we all know this, right? You, you buy one book on Amazon. Uh, for instance, you buy the book Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. So you buy my book, you know, I'm just teaching that. There it is. And then, but, but it'll say people who bought this book also bought yeah. those books. Well, at some level, that's nice. Mm -hmm. But what does it do? It sends you in a direction of like, here's books like that book. Well, maybe you don't need a book similar to the book you normally get. <laughs> maybe you need mm -hmm. something that's different than what you want to read, right? And so these algorithms are, they're, they're recommending what friends we friend. They're recommending what products we use. They'll be able to even tell like how long you just hover on a page, not even click, right? So you just hover mm -hmm. on a page 
And then they give that information either to advertisers on what they sell you next, because you just waited for a while looking at a car that you would never buy, but you just looked at it. And suddenly you start getting ads for Lexuses or something, you know, but that is segmenting us into these like-minded groups. And it's great at some point, but when conflicts arise, we don't know how to handle them. And I, I even see this with groups that first form in segmentation for a good reason. Like for instance, people who've left toxic churches. That's, that's not a bad thing. Leave a toxic church, I get it. But they'll unite, let's say, around the fact that we believe church abuse is wrong. Well, what happens over time? That community forms and they start thinking about other things. And what you're finding is those groups, a conflict will arise within that group. And they don't know how to handle conflict because they just unite mm. around agreeing. And so th those groups fracture and split. And we're seeing that now with social media, a lot of groups that formed really strongly, whether we're strong progressives or strong conservatives or strong, whatever, whatever it is, within those own communities, they don't know how to get along besides just having uh, already agreeing upon all the points, which is kind of legalism, right? It's just as long as we agree on these points, we'll hang out together. And we're also, I think, purposely segmenting ourselves as well, if we're honest about this. And I talk about this in the book, where because we don't like the conflict or we like the feeling we get with others validating who we are, we are purposely segmenting ourselves and going to, I'm just going to hang out with a bunch of conservatives or conservative Christians or mm -hmm. conservative white Christians, or we can segment ourselves into as narrow of a group as we can. And we might not say we're doing that, but if you look through your social media, the people you're following, the people you're interacting with, you can tell. It's like, hey, you just have a bunch of white friends online. You've been segmenting yourself. Because if you're online enough, you, you can have a diverse expression if you seek it out. You can have all kinds of different. If everyone you follow and everyone you interact with has the same politics as you, you've been segmenting yourself. Now, I think that's a problem when my goal is if I have truth, is to bring that truth to people who don't know it. If I'm in the light, to bring it to people in the darkness. And this is outside of social media. Like, I don't think Christians should go off in their own little Christian communities with their Christian Bibles and their Christian uh, music and their Christian everything, and then just wait for Jesus to return. Uh, there's no need for us to be on this planet for that. Our goal, yes, we can have our communities. Yes, we can have a place to encourage and build us up. But we do that for the purpose of going out <laughs> into the world and speaking with people who have different music, different texts, different views of the world. And I see people kind of creating these little bubbles or big bubbles that isolate them from being able to communicate uh, Christ with those who desperately need it. Yeah. And so it's just a, it's just a powerful idea that we just need to be honest with that, that social media does impact us in ways yeah. that we, we may not even realize it, you know? Yeah. And I know for me, one of the, one of the things that, that comes up every once in a while when I'm on social media is that social media can really, uh, I guess, bring about a lot of anxiety inside yeah. of me, you know, yeah. you know, as a pastor, I can look at some other church. Oh, I'm not, you know, not compared to them. Oh my gosh. You know? And um, is there a way that you see this, the way that, the way that you, is there a way that you see maybe that social media impacts has an impact on your life? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a really ways? good point. Uh, by the way, in the book, I have these posting piece challenges where I let yeah. people kind of process their own social media stuff. It's more questions because we all live different lives. And it'd be arrogant of me to say, you need to do this or that. You know, some people, they just, <laughs> they're going to be posting nonstop. Others kind of are in it. So we, we could each process that. That's a huge thing for me as a pastor, right? Because everybody's presenting themselves. We don't know if they're presenting reality. That's the first mm -hmm. thing, right? Are they, mm -hmm. are they pre presenting a, 
reality they want us to know. And uh, that's a huge one for me. Like I, you know, during COVID, the choices we're making as a church versus other churches are making. It's very easy to see other people sharing their opinions as an accusation against your own. Oh, wow. Um, and I think, I don't know, you know, I, this is something I've thought about is I, I struggle with a lot of self-hate in the sense of mm-hmm. I motivate myself through, boy, you, if you just did it better, Doug, you know, your life would be better, right? So self-hate is a narrative you tell yourself. So I'm, you know, upset or I'm, I'm insecure about a decision I'm making. And so I'm already the first heckler. I'm trolling myself, <laughs> you know, in my mind, right? So then on social media, someone comes along and they touch into that area, whether they just say something general that's not directed towards you or specifically. And what it becomes is a confirmation of your own self-hate. And so then my response can be very extreme. You know, how dare you say this and that? And for the person, often it might be, whoa, what was Doug's issue? Why did he just attack me? Well, that's where I have to really know myself before I let another community assess me or communicate reality. And so I think sometimes I'll blame social media, but you know, you can find anyone to justify you and to to defend you, but you can find daily things that will accuse you. And if you already feel like you're under accusation, uh, that's not going to go well. So you have to have a sense of your own identity and worth (laughs) before you go into this community. It's true in any setting, but let's say in a church, there's only a limited amount of people, you know them relationally, you know, but online, you can't control that. So every day you're facing a comment, um, a response that is an attack on you where you attack yourself or where others had attacked yourself. That's going to influence our our health, our well-being. So I think some of us do need to set those boundaries. We do need to set mental health well-being boundaries. There are people who are toxic to us. They're not our calling to minister to them. We hand them over to God and say, someone else has to deal with this person because the way they talk hits me in a way where it's destroying my identity or it's making it hard to function. And I know how ridiculous that is. Some guy, you know, a thousand miles away is impacting my mental health for today. That That's mm-hmm. not a good thing. So yeah, I, I that's one thing I think we're really struggling with. It's kind of like this, you know, when you're driving and you see a, someone in a car next to you, you ever do this where you're like, I wonder what that guy's life is like. Because in general, God has given us brains where we can only connect with a certain amount of people. We're not supposed to passionately every person we see be fully invested in them emotionally. We just couldn't do it. Oh yeah. So we kind of connect. We care about some people's lives. It's not like we don't care about the person next to us, but we can't give our mental energy to someone who's driving by us on the road, right? Well, what's happening in social media is we've expanded the amount of people who are taking our mental energy. Hmm. And so there has to be a level of indifference. It's like, I care about you. But I can't care about all these people. It's like, I can't care about every trending topic. Every day there's a disaster brought to my door. Every day there's a trauma. You know, it's happening all the time. So I have to be spirit-led and focused. What relationships am I supposed to focus my best energy towards? You know, what is something central to my calling or what God has called me to do? And what is, you know, I just can't be involved in every argument, uh, defend every issue, I can't be interested in every car that drives by. <laughs> you're just not going to be able to do it. Yeah. And so one of the things you you talk about in the book is um, that Christians should approach the way they interact online as ministers of reconciliation. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about um, 
not just not just what you mean by that, but what 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 are some ways that that can look like online? Well, it's interesting. I use the word peacemaker instead of mm -hmm. reconciliation, even in the title, because yep. when we say reconciliation, we tend to think just racial reconciliation. Yes. And that is certainly a form of reconciliation. But I wanted to root it first in just the general biblical concept of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. The Apostle Paul mentions specifically, and it's mentioned in every book and uh, every letter in the New Testament in some form, but says that God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation Jesus has. And the concept of the gospel is reconciliation, that we were there was a hostility between us and God. And so Christ dies for our sins to reconcile us to God. Uh, that reconciliation has a twofold, right? It has uh, with God, I'm reconciled with God. And then also it breaks down the dividing walls of hostility between Jew and Gentile, uh, between uh, fellow people so that a community can be built, which was God's first promise to Abraham, that I will make you a people. You know, sometimes people forget that. I wrote a book called The Community of God, and people forget this reality of that it's not just about forgiving us of our sins. It's not just about sending us to heaven. It's God forgave us of our sins or broke down the dividing walls of hostility so he could fulfill his promise to Abraham. And his promise to Abraham is, I will make you a great people that will bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. So as Christians, our goal isn't just to get saved. Our goal is to enter into that promise to Abraham that God is making a people through us. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility so I can have communion with God and then I can uh, be a, a son or a daughter who hears and sees the leading of God and follows God's leading in life. But what for what purpose? So I can build a people, that I can bring that reconciling news to other people. And uh, that part, which I think sometimes Christians don't recognize in any context of our life, hmm. uh, social media, if you're going to make it, like I said before, just about my individual needs, you, you're not... going to pursue that. It's about pointing to the one who reconciled us, bringing them the hope that I was brought, bringing them from death to life, introducing Jesus, making room for Jesus. Hmm. And at another level, my heart would be, because I believe anyone in Christ is a new creation, and that actually Christ dwells in me through the Holy Spirit. If Christ is in me, Christ has not given up on his desire to reconcile all. So if I'm a Christian, I will be motivated by the motivations that motivated Christ. So my goal isn't just to win the argument. It's to reconcile. And those are two different things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we know that. And we, and we know that in marriage, right? Like, this is not a time to win an argument, Doug. Your wife doesn't know that you love her right now. And so you have to show love and break down the dividing walls of hostility and create an intimacy so that the two can be one. We know that with our kids, it's not just about winning the argument. It's about we're building a community here where we love each other and we will love each other when I when I'm on my deathbed, my kids will love, you know, me and I'll love them that and that we'll be brothers and sisters for all eternity. It's true with friendships. It's not just to get someone who'll do the things I want to do, but ultimately it's that I'm wanting them to experience the fullness of Christ's love and at some level trying to also experience that with them as well. It's true, though, with our enemies, because Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to them, bless them. You know, <laughs> it's it's the good news. Paul was an enemy of God. He's reconciled. So then what does he do? He brings that reconciliation to other communities. We're in the same category as the Apostle Paul. So we do the same thing. 
Yeah. And so, so to go online, building community, these are image bearers of God. I'm not going to try to use them to meet my needs. I'm going to try to connect and build, mm. build some kind of community. Um, what would you say? What about the person that might be watching this or listening to this? And they're thinking, you know, Doug, this, this sounds great, but really I just get online to watch a few cat videos yeah. and uh, you know, not, and, and I don't want to tip my toe in any of this, any of these right. waters. Uh, is, is there any, you know, is there, is there anything to say to that? Oh, I'd say shame on you. How dare you? What's wrong with you? No, <laughs> I just, uh, here, you know, it's kind of like, is it the Hippocratic oath? Is that what they call it for doctors? It's like first do no harm. Mm -hmm. Um, there there's reconciliation is just a foundation of the spirit in which we communicate. It's not that every conversation is about Jesus. Please, you know, if anybody follows me on Twitter, I talk about anything and I talk about weird stuff and it's, but I want to make sure that anything I'm doing, is it creating a boundary or a barrier to people coming to God? And that's mm -hmm. to me about reconciliation. And I think we do this with, we sadly, we do this with witnessing to people. We do it with evangelism. We make it a program, right? You know, tell mm -hmm. them about Jesus. And, and there's an aspect of evangelism that's that. But evangelism and witnessing Christ is more than the content. It's the attitude. It's the heart. And so a reconciling mindset might be like, you're like, I don't, I'm not a religious person, Doug. And since I don't, I don't know how to do that stuff, but you're going to face conflict online. You just are. So when you face conflict, what's your response going to be? If you understand that your ministry is reconciliation, then your goal is, I want this person to feel the love of God and how I respond. I want to make room for God so that they see the same savior that leads me they can see how I, I'm not motivated just by being right. I'm not motivated by my needs over their needs. I'm a servant of the most high Lord. And so then you pause and you decide, why am I communicating? Uh, one of the weirdest things about social media is uh, some people with their first interaction with a human being immediately start fighting. Their first interaction and often their only interaction with a human being. It's like you meet someone on the street say, I'm never going to see you again, but I want my only interaction with you to be for me to tell you how stupid you are and what an idiot you are and why, you know, and that's it. And then we just walk away. And some people are doing this daily where thousands of people, their only interaction with them is to basically fight and to tear them down to show they're right and they're wrong. For me, I want my first interaction and my last interaction, which sometimes can be the same interaction, to be where did they did they have an access to witness Christ? Did they witness the love of Christ, the gentleness of Christ? I might not have mentioned Christ, and they might not even know that. They might not be in a stage where they even know to point to that that is Christ that they witnessed. But I want them to witness Christ. So if someone tells me, well, you know, my goal isn't reconciliation, that I'd say, what is your Christianity? Hmm. What have you received? Because if it's just, if I, I can't even imagine one, I recognize that I was lost and now I'm found. And why would I be so selfish to not help others be found? Uh, I don't want anyone to be lost. I could care less if someone thinks I'm right, if they're lost. I don't want to win an argument if someone's lost. I want to find a way to bring them the light and life of Jesus. And we all know that at some level, we do it with people close to us. There's people where you, let's say you have a cousin, a nephew, a friend, family member, and you know they're lost. 
but you don't argue with them about things. You just try to find ways to show them that you love them, that you're there for them, that if they ever turn to the truth, you're going to be there to help them in that process. But for some reason, if it's a stranger, we're like, well, you know, doesn't matter. I just got to get my point across. And, and so this is a big issue to me. And if you read through the book, that concept, it's more to stir that dialogue of, yes, what is the goal of my communication? And, and I, by the way, I find myself wanting as well. I find myself lacking as well. I've, I'm, it's not to condemn people, but it's to encourage us that if we start every time just pausing and Lord, what is a reconciling answer? What is a, and reconciling isn't just getting along in the sense of agreeing with someone. Reconciling isn't not sharing the truth. It's why am I sharing the truth? And I have a whole chapter on this, even on justice and conflict is some Christians think reconciliation is let's just not have any conflict. Let's not say anything bad. Let's not deal with anything. And we'll just all get along. Right. That's not reconciliation because some things need to be spoken against. Some things need to be confronted. But here's the question I ask myself. Okay, I see evil in the world. I see someone expressing evil. I see them expressing a view that I think is harmful to the kingdom of God or to others. My goal of communicating is my goal to hurt them or to rescue them? Is my goal to bring them into the light or to harm them the way they harmed me? Those are big questions, right? Yeah. Because if my goal is this is my enemy, in fact, they're acting as an enemy, they're enemy of the gospel, they're an enemy of the truth. But still, Jesus was so clear, love your enemies, do good to them, bless them. So now I'm communicating truth. I can still say, I disagree. I believe that's wrong, but I'm still trying to find a way that they know through my words, through my actions, through my responses, that I'm not here to ridicule them, to harm them, to tear them down. But I actually believe I have truth that would be good for them. And I'm communicating because I love them. So that, that to me is the issue, the motivation of the heart is what I'd ask that Christian who says, well, my goal really isn't reconciliation. It'd be, well, if the motivation of your heart isn't for people to receive the love of God, then I don't know what you received. Wow. Because Christ Jesus in me is loving people through me. Whenever I make room for Christ to move, Christ will love others in my presence. And I want him to love others through me on social media. Hmm. Yeah. You know, Doug, uh, portion of our audience, people who are watching, listen, they are pastors, they're church leaders, people that serve in church, care about their churches and the church. Um, and one of the things that comes up just in conversations that I have with church leaders right now is, you know, maybe I'm going to, I'm going to preach through a certain book of the Bible, or maybe I'm going to preach through the Sermon on the Mount. And I, and, and I'm going to touch on something that culturally is, is, is happening. Yeah. Yeah. And by the time that I give that sermon, the opinions and thoughts of the people have already been formed by what they've seen online. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's just a concern about the way that, that social media seems to be discipling people. Do you think that pastors need to begin to specifically disciple people in how they interact online? And, and if so, what could that look like? Wow. You know, you, there's a lot of things in that question. Uh, you know, the strength of social media is it's removed all the gatekeepers. It's the strength and the weakness. Um, if you're pastoring a church by controlling information, you will fail. And I know that's not your, your question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you used to be able to present something and people had very limited resources. They had very few places they could go to to even refute that. Hmm. And uh, that could lead to abuse, you know, 
I mean, we even know like the Roman Catholic Church, people were hearing masses in Latin and that they didn't even know, they couldn't find any information anywhere else. They didn't have any text. They didn't have a printing press. They just listened to a mass and God made, made a way within these cultures. But now anything I say, someone can search and find everything. They can find everything I preach, everything I teach. So we're really in a, in a, in a kind of time where, okay, God, if you're real, you're going to have to reveal yourself. Hmm, And that's a good thing because it's breaking down a lot of our cultural strongholds of you just believe the way we believe because we said you believe that way. And this is our denominational distinctive. And this is like, that's not good enough because you can't control it. You can't lead kids that way. Well, it's just, this is what I believe. They, they have to develop a relationship with the resurrected Lord. They have to have an encounter with God that they know God is real. God is true. And they're seeking God based on the encounter with the resurrected presence of Jesus Christ. And if they don't encounter a resurrected savior, religion is useless. Yeah. And the intermediaries, you can't have as many intermediaries as well. Like pastors sometimes have this radical experience with God. And then they come before the congregation and they're like, trust me. And then they tell the congregation what to do. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to make room for them to have the same dynamic encounter that we had, the same relationship that called us to give our lives to Jesus. And so that does change how we preach. And, you know, preaching to me where you're just, here's the three ways you got to view this and the four ways you got to view that, uh, you're not going to be able to control people and what they should view. You can preach about how do I discern information? How do I discern truth? How do I, when stuff comes to me, how do I know if something essential or secondary? How do I know if something's factual or not factual? These are the topics of our age. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, we believe it because this talk show host said it, or we believe it because that talk show, or Doug said it, so we believe it. It, it. You can't do that. And when people are doing that, some people are just aligning themselves around certain people and certain ideologies, but that is not going to last. We have to find a way for people who hear all the information to be able to discern what is right and true and what isn't. I know these are big topics like, well, how do you do that, Doug? Well, I do think we need to disciple people on how to process information and how to exist within a larger context. Uh, and so, you know, the book, that's partially what it is about. I, I'm even putting together a curriculum that will be released when the book is released uh, for pastors to preach through it, for small groups to deal with it, because I, I pastors are seeing this as well. They're seeing people interact a certain way in their churches and then they see them on Facebook and there's a different person. Yeah. And they don't want to be the guy like writing. I saw you saw you did something on Facebook. You know, that's terrible. They don't want to be that person, like the tone police, but that's a problem. Hmm. It's a problem. If there's two people, there's the church person and there's the online person. So that's a topic, right? That's less about what you say, but, the integrity of who you are. If you're a different person online than you are in person, then you have a duplicitous witness. This is the one I use for people. If you died, would you want me to read your last 10 to 20 social media posts in front of the congregation at your funeral? (laughs) And a lot of people laugh at that, right? Because it's like, no. Now I understand if it's just silly and stupid, but for some people at church, they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about the love of God. They're talking about the gospel and grace. And then online, their last 10 posts were just political, angry, uh, snarky, uh, divisive post after divisive post after divisive post. And online, you would say, I don't even know what this, what does this person believe? 
they believe Trump won the election or whatever. That's all you know. Like you, you don't know. Do you know that they're a Christian? Uh, maybe. Uh, do, you, do you know that they love other people? I, I don't know. Do, you don't even know. So there's a problem with that, that integration. So um, people have different opinions on what we should do in church and what we should do online. But at least as pastors, we can disciple them that if there's a duplicity there, we've got a problem. So we got to decide who we believe and people have to know who we are regardless of the context we're in. So yes, the answer, that's a long way to say yes. We, we need to disciple people and we need to get us asking the questions. But I don't think pastors' jobs are to come in and be uh, the police because yeah. you just, because they'll just find another pastor. That's the whole point. Like they don't like you, they'll search and there's a thousand other, there's millions of pastors. There's In olden times, you lived in a town without a car. Uh, what were your options? You had like two, three churches. And you just went there, whether the pastor was good or not. You just you just went there. You couldn't go anywhere else. And so people learned to reconcile because they had to, because there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> Online, if you come in and you do the hard, you know, this is what you need to believe. This is what you need to do. You might get some people, but there's a whole group of people who are going, I don't need you, pastor. <laughs> I've got a thousand other people. So I have to point to the one they need, Jesus Christ. And so even if they leave me, that I feel like they're leaving the witness of Christ and not just, you know, leaving our church or leaving how I express Christianity. Yeah. So Doug, let's talk best practices. You know, in the book, you give a lot of examples of, of ways to interact online. And you talked about being a peacemaker, minister of reconciliation. What are some other maybe best practices that, that you might use uh, for yeah. yourself when it comes to well, social media? Well, let me just give a, a few. I, I have a chapter on questions that I ask myself. Mm -hmm. And then I ask the people reading to come up with their own questions. And I think this is important because I do not have it figured out. I'm a middle-class white male. I don't understand the full expression of humanity. I can only speak to my experience. Hmm. I Hopefully it's inclusive and broader than just me, but it would be arrogance for me to say, here's the five ways you do this and everything will be fine. But one of the areas, like here's just a practical thing that I, I ask myself uh, before going online. It's like a plan that you have before you go online so that when the conflict occurs, you know how to respond. We know this in life. Like if you don't have a plan how to respond to conflict, when the emotions kick in, you're just going to do whatever, you know, hmm. your emotions dictate. So, you know, one of the ideas for me is I ask this question, am I treating people as if they're in the room with me? I, I'll use a term like who's in the room. And because social media detaches us from people, like there's just some words on a screen I need to humanize the situation. So I try to visualize this person is in the room with me. Now, how do you talk to someone or about someone when they're in the room with you? Mm -hmm. And am I talking that way online that I would if they were in the room with me? That's a pretty powerful question because we often talk about people as if they're just uh, something we use to express our ideology. And as, you know, as a talk show host, I did this for celebrities as well. I wanted to if a celebrity did something that was in the news, I'd want to say, would I say this if they were right in front of me? Because uh, what we're doing in our society is we talk about people as they're just abstract ideas, but we would never treat them that way in person, right? If, mm -hmm. or but here's even a deeper one. Well, I treat them like if they were sitting next to me in the church, yeah. if they were a visitor, like even visitors to church that are weird and angry and, <laughs> you know, all over the place. You don't just start fighting with them. You still like, how do we love this guy? This, this is an interesting person who's walked through our doors. You know, even if you're like, is this mental health issues? What, what, 
we're our whole goal because we're in a church is to find a way to interact with them where they receive help and the love of Christ. And we are concerned. We want to make sure they're not doing anything to harm others, but we're still in this very sensitive way of dealing with someone. Well, that's a huge one for me online to ask that question. Am I, am I interacting with people like they're in the room? Uh, and I need, I need that or else I'll just start, you know, saying stuff. The other one, and this can be a cliche to people, but uh, truth and love, you know, we talk about, I believe, Truth without love is not truth. And love without truth is not love. Hmm. And that can be such a cliche, but it's so true. I find people that some people are just like, I don't care how you feel. Uh, that's the truth, right? The truth doesn't care about your feelings. I think that's a statement that people use, right? Yeah. That's not true. The truth cares about our feelings. Jesus is the truth. Hmm. Jesus cares about our feelings. That's a lie from the pit of hell that says truth doesn't care about your feelings. Hmm. Uh, Jesus loved us. In fact, we wouldn't even receive the truth of Jesus if we didn't see that he cared about us. The fact that he showed us that he cared about us, cared about our torment, cared about that we cared about our sins, that cared about that we were lost and needed to be found. So the truth is wrapped in love and love is wrapped in truth. And that's a huge one for me. Like I can be, am I, I'm saying something true, but why am I saying it? Am I saying it because I love this person or am I saying it to harm them? Because we can, the Pharisees use scripture for all kinds of, you know, Satan used scripture to tempt Jesus, right? You can say truth for not loving purposes. We all know that. And uh, so that's the question. Now, can I judge that in you? I really can't like I can say, well, that wasn't loving. Like, it's between you and God, but I can judge it in me. <laughs> and I can tell, like, you know, pastors do this. Uh, I, any pastors listening, you know, you've done this. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're better than all of us. But, you know, sometimes you're just irritated at something going on in the church. Hmm. You're just frustrated. And so you say something true in your sermon that addresses that issue. You know, when you're struggling in your marriage, you really should get counseling, right? Well, that might be true. But you're saying it because you're mad because one couple won't get counseling and they're driving you crazy because there's all this conflict and they won't fall. And so you say this general truth statement, but you're not really saying it because you love that couple or you love the congregation. And I think any of us have found ourselves in those places where this is true and people could say, well, well what you said is true, Pastor. Yeah, but the reason I'm saying this is not for love. It's because I'm angry or mm -hmm. I want to hurt someone or I want to defend myself, defensiveness, you know, I'm just, and so that is a huge practical issue uh, for us. You know, and I have a bunch of other ones listed as well, but uh, I just think, man, when you start going back and looking at what you posted, let's say in the last two weeks, and you can just ask yourself the question, was my goal reconciliation? What was the end result of this? Do you think people felt the love of God in this? Do you think it opened up a door between us? If not, how can I do that? You know, how can I move in that direction? I do have a whole section though on how to deal also with trollers and yeah. terrible things because I do think we need boundaries. I'm not saying we just need to open ourselves up to be beat up by people. We know that Jesus, uh, he laid down his life. No one took it away. There were times where Paul escaped harmful places and called us to escape harmful people. So that's part of the discernment as well. When to engage and when to entrust someone into the hands of God and block them and <laughs> mute them and move on. Yeah.
Well, Doug, this has been uh, this has been great. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to do this. I do want to ask one final question, and it's and it's really just can you can you help us understand how important the way that we interact online is to the public witness of the church? Well, this is what I fundamentally believe. Christians should not just have different content online. We should have a radically different spirit and way of abiding with people online. Hmm. And right now, I don't see that. Hmm. I believe we could transform the world if we just look different than the rest of the people on the face of the earth. And you just know, you wouldn't have to look at the, the bio and it wouldn't be because of their view on a certain issue. It'd just be how we communicate. We are different. Like, hey, whenever you communicate with a Christian online, those guys are the most loving, gracious, kind, genuine, thoughtful people. They're, they're, they're not just in it for themselves. They're constantly trying to demonstrate the love and goodness of God to others. They're often, they often seem to be more concerned with others than themselves. It's, it's the Philippians too. They, they become the servant of all. And they're not weak. They have strong opinions. They believe certain things. In fact, their beliefs don't waver even when everyone's all angry and upset and fighting and they're just different. The way that we rise up in this culture is not just to have different ideology, but to have a different spirit. So this is essential. And I just ask anyone listening, um, do people witness Christ through you in your social media, do they would they be able to say, I've been with Jesus? Or if you introduce them to Jesus, they'd be like, Oh, that's how Doug is, you know? That's how Mark is. That's 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 how the way Mark is is the way Christ is, and the way Christ is the way Mark is. We we've been made in the image of God, and I think that's ultimately to image God that people will say, you know, what is God's love like? Well, you know what? It's kind of like how Doug loves people. What is God's grace like? It's kind of like how Mark extends grace. So if people aren't seeing the image of God, if we're not imaging God in our social media, I don't, I don't know what we've received as Christians. And I would frankly question if our gospel has anything to do with the gospel. So yeah, it's, it's important. And all of us, if we're honest, we're all struggling it's a difficult environment. There's a lot against us. So all of us can work at looking at how we're presenting ourselves and making room for Jesus to present a better witness in us and through us on a daily basis. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's a powerful word. That's powerful. Doug. So the book is Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us, What We Can Do About It. It comes out April 20th, right? Yes, it does. And you yep. can certainly pre-order it. I heard it's way more anointed if you order it. No, just... <laughs> Uh, and I really, you know, to me, I'm just a guy with a, a church of like 70 or 80 people, uh, just a normal dude. Hmm. I've done a lot of study, uh, doctoral work on this topic, but my goal is not to have anyone feel condemned. It's to give you more ways to look at social media, to look at the strengths, the weaknesses, to grow. We all have room to grow. And I want to hear people's feedback and ways for them to post on social media about reading the book. I just want to facilitate a better dialogue because we all need to figure out how to deal with this medium that is truly changing our world. Yeah. And you referenced earlier at the end of every chapter, you just give practical tips, how people can post peace and yeah. different things for every chapter. Right. Well, I give a challenge. Like I have questions for the book, but then it's just, 
a couple options. Try to do this this week. Communicate something about, uh, and it's to kind of encourage people to take some risk in their social media, whether it's posting certain things or responding to others. And I, I find that 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 makes it incredibly practical and it makes it not preachy where I'm not telling you, you got to do these five things. I'm more saying, okay, you discover how this works in your life. So here's a, a an issue. Try to post on a justice issue, you know, something like that and see how people respond and try to respond in ways that's reconciling, you know, and then as you go through that process, that alone will be an education. I think people just doing those challenges, that would be an education regardless of even the content in the book. Yeah. And so it's, man, it's, it's a book that we need right now and it's written perfectly for, for churches, discipleship groups. Now you did mention though earlier, you're, you're putting some resources together for churches, for pastors. Yes. It's not like today of this interview available, but they're editing it. It'll be on my website and on the InterVarsity Press website. And so people who can go to fairlyspiritual.org will be able to find that or future information if you want to receive newsletters and such. But I'll, I have a thing that allows you to have small groups to go through it and also for pastors who want to preach through it. And I'm a pastor. I don't like anybody to tell me what to do. So it has a very you know wide array, array of ways that you could preach through it. Um, but I think it would be fun. Just it's, you know, it's very relevant. It's fun. But it also allows pastors to speak into these issues, right? Like if you're worried about this, you can have your church go through that. They're all asking these questions. And it allows you to say those things that you don't know how to say, you know, to kind of, huh, you know, I'm noticing some of you on Facebook don't look the same as you do here, you know, but everyone, everyone, instead of the, what I like about this is instead of the pastor bringing that discussion, it's the author, Doug Bursch, who's annoying everybody. So you can be the friendly pastors like, oh, he's kind of annoying, but let's unpack this. So it's like the evangelist in the form of a book. I get to say the tough stuff and then you guys get to process it and not worry about being offended. Like, it's not me. It's just, it's just what Doug wrote. So I think that's the strength of it. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And so the website, give us that website address one more time. Uh, fairlyspiritual.org. Uh, but you can search Doug Bursch or you can search postingpeace.com and get there. You can find it. Postingpeace.com will get you there as well. All right. And we'll we'll link to that in the show notes. Now, Fairly Spiritual is your podcast as well, yeah. right? Yep. Okay. You can, you can hear my somewhat regular podcast, Fairly Spiritual, and my Twitter handle's Fairly Spiritual, and uh, right. there's so many ways to hear me just thrown <laughs> on and on, so yeah. Awesome. Well, we're, we're going to link to all that in the show notes, so everybody watching and listening, make sure to check those out so you can connect. Pick up the book when it comes out, you're going to want to. Doug, this is great. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on oh, today. Thanks for having me on, and these were really good questions, and I just want you to know what you do has tremendous value. Don't discount it. I know we're doing a podcast that sometimes I'm like, who's listening or who isn't listening? And you put a lot of effort into it. It has tremendous value. And that's what we're trying to encourage everybody just to do something. Hmm. And if we all do something, we could stand before the Lord and say, hey, you know, I didn't just wait for you to return. I did something to advance a better witness. So I thank you for what you do. Hmm. Man, bless you. Thanks, Doug. All right. Well, Doug, thanks so much for coming on the show and make sure to hit the show notes. In the show notes, we've got links for the posting piece, small group study guide, and even ideas for a sermon series. And so this is an issue that churches need to be talking about. We need to disciple our people into how we walk into spaces on social media. And so Doug's book is just such an important book for our time right now. Hit the show notes, pick it up, posting peace. You won't regret it. It's a great book. 
And I would love to hear what you thought about today's episode. How do you see social media impacting the people around you? Let's connect on social media and let's talk about it. The Churchology Podcast is on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. And if you want to watch today's interview, make sure to head over to our YouTube channel. Now, next Tuesday, we've got a brand new episode. We're talking to Andrew Arn about his book, All Flame, entering into the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm really excited to share it with you. New episodes of the Churchology Podcast come out every Tuesday. The best way to never miss an episode, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next Tuesday.